Oh, well, hello, Darla, you're so old. Darla, it's so nice to have you back here in the dale. You're looking well, Darla, fresh from hell. Darla, you're still tramping, you're still vamping, you're still... Is that a gun? What the fuck's up with that? Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And we're here today to talk about Angel, the seventh episode of season one. Angel was written by David Greenwald and directed by Scott Brazil. This is the only episode of Buffy named for a character, and it earns that distinction. Yes, no, it definitely does. This is the episode where things start getting really serious with Buffy. Um, and everybody who loves Buffy, I think, starts really loving it at this episode. But a warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy and as such is fully spoiled. All right, let's go on patrol. We open Angel with the master whining about how Buffy's killed all his favorite pets and trying to figure out how best to super kill her as he takes advice from his vampire counsel. It wears thin. Colin, what would you do about it? I'd annihilate it. Out of the mouths of babes. At the bronze, Buffy is focused on one thing, Angel. Buffy bails early from the party and is accosted by the three, the very terrifying vampire trio the master sent out to attack her. Luckily, Angel's lurking in the shadows and he helps her out. They run back to her house where the vamps can't get her, but Angel's hurt. Buffy sneaks him up into her room where he stays the night. She sets him up on the floor of her bedroom and the romantic tension grows thick between them. Angel? Do you snore? I don't know. It's been a long time since anybody's been in a position to let me know. The Scoobies gather at the library where Giles presents the exposition. The Three is a dangerous group of vampires and having failed to kill Buffy, will offer their lives to the master in penance. Buffy trains with Giles after school, then comes back at night to find Angel still in her bedroom. They have a cute misunderstanding about him reading her diary, which he didn't, but then the confessions get rolling. I did a lot of thinking today. I really can't be around you, because when I am... Hey, no big water. Oh, over man. the bridge, under the bridge, over badly the badly I want to kiss you. Kiss me? They kiss, and as things get heated, Angel vamps out. Buffy screams, and he jumps out the window. At school, Buffy tries to find a loophole for the budding relationship, but Giles assures her that Angel can't be a good person. Xander, of course, offers a helpful perspective. You're in love with a vampire? What, are you out of your mind? Angel goes to his apartment to find Darla waiting there for him. We discover that Darla and Angel have a history, and she's not thrilled that he's palling around with the Slayer. Talk to her. Tell her about the curse. Maybe she'll come around. And if she still doesn't trust you, you know where I'll be. 
At school, Giles tells the story of a vicious vampire named Angelus who ripped a bloody swath through Europe before coming to America about 80 years ago, at which point he shunned other vampires and appeared to have stopped killing. So he is a good vampire. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being someone who's killing and maiming every night and 1 being someone who's not. The master and Darla hatch a plan to make Buffy kill Angel. Darla pretends to be a school friend of Buffy's, gets invited into the house with Joyce, and attacks. Angel shows up to rescue Joyce. Darla tosses him Joyce's unconscious and bleeding body, and Buffy comes home. She throws him out. You're not welcome here. You come near us and I'll kill you. Buffy gets Joyce to the hospital, where she thinks she had an accident with a barbecue fork. Buffy plans to kill Angel and goes to collect weapons from Giles's completely appropriate collection in the school library. Meanwhile, Darla works on Angel to get him to kill Buffy when she comes for him, hoping to bring him back into the evil fold. For a hundred years, you've not had a moment's peace because you will not accept who you are. That's all you have to do. Accept it. Don't let her hunt you down. Don't whimper and mule like a mangy human. Kill. Feed. Live. While Buffy goes on the hunt, Giles sits with Joyce, who tells him about Darla. He rushes out to tell Buffy. At the bronze, Buffy finds Angel, and they fight as he tries to get her to kill him. Simple. I invited you into my home, and then you attacked my family. Why not? I killed mine. I killed their friends. And their friends' children. For a hundred years, I offered an ugly death to everyone I met. And I did it with a song in my heart. Angel tells Buffy about the Romani curse that restored his soul and the torment he's lived with since. He tells her he wanted to kill her tonight and Buffy offers him the chance. He doesn't, but then Darla attacks with guns. Because, hey, why not? So many body parts, so few bullets. <laughs> Let's begin with the kneecaps. No fun dancing without them. Angel and Buffy fight Darla, and Angel dusts her, saving Buffy, then disappears off into the night. The master mourns the loss of Darla as the Anointed One comforts him. The next night of the bronze, Buffy sees Angel and they decide that they can't be together, then kiss as the cross he gave her burns a mark into his chest. You okay? It's just painful. Okay, Lonnie, or yes. should I say story expert Lonnie Diane Rich, New York Times bestselling author of, among other things, romance, talk to me about Buffy and Angel. Oh, I was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was watching this episode with you in mind. I know and absolutely love your theory about the foundation of a good romance being a couple who um, work well together as a team. Mm -hmm. And that's the first interaction that Buffy and Angel have in this episode. And then later we hear from Darla that she and Angel, or maybe it was Angelus, were a great mm -hmm. team. So yeah. I want to know, tell me about the romance here. 
Okay. Well, yes. Um, the best romances are built from people who work really well together as a team. A lot of times in romance, we have this kind of thing where it's like, I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together. And the fact that they're both pretty is usually enough for, for lazy writers who don't want to tell a really good romance. Um, but what works really well about this is not just that they work well together, which is always a great thing in any kind of romance, but that his very existence is the exact opposite of everything she stands for and that creates a great romantic conflict because to tell a great romance you need both people who work well together who are a good team but also who have a strong romantic conflict at the center of that relationship um, and one of the things romance writers are constantly searching for is that great romantic conflict that seems insurmountable but in the end is conquered by true love so that's essentially what romance is all about and it's what we go to romances for. Um, what happens with a lot of romances, especially since the age of moonlighting, is that they just end up bickering. They're just so different. He's just so annoying. And that's the entirety <laughs> of the romantic conflict, um, which doesn't really hold up that well. Um, it, it functions okay. It can give you something that can be some fun, but you really need to have something at the core of these two people um, that makes them, you know, have to be together and yet they can't be together. Um, so what we have here is an absolute perfect example of that essential romantic conflict. They want to be together. They work well together. They've got this great chemistry, um, but they can't be together because he's a vampire and she's a slayer and that's it. Like there's no getting around that. Um, you know, and sometimes we'll see things in, in romances where there's some kind of misunderstanding, you know, mm -hmm. and if the two people just spoke to each other, everything would be fine, right? Like, you know, the classic, I saw you down the street with your arm around a girl. And he's like, it's my sister, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's not real conflict, real romantic conflict is something that you can't talk around that no matter how much you talk, it's not going to make Romeo not a Montague, you know? Yeah. So I mean, that's the kind of thing that you really want with this kind of romance. And I think this is part of the reason why Buffy and Angel are such an iconic romantic story because they do have that conflict right at the center of everything we see that kiss at the end and the cross that protects her burns a mark into his chest beautiful beautiful visual representation of this wonderful essential romantic conflict um and actually uh not long ago uh, when i was finishing up season seven for the video series part of still pretty um i did the episode touched where i talked a lot about buffy and spike and kind of um like talked about the difference between a romance and a love story. You yes. Know? Um, mm -hmm. A romance has this romantic conflict. It's these two people. They want to be together. They can't be together, but they work so well together and there's such a good team and there's wonderful chemistry, all of that, yada, yada, yada. That is a classic, wonderful buildup for a romance. Um, later on in the series, we're going to have big discussions about, of course, Buffy and Spike, a character who has not shown up just yet, but will, you know, not too long from now. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is with Buffy and Spike is that that's not a romance. Like he's a vampire, she's a slayer, but that's not at the core of their romantic conflict. There's a lot of things that are at the core of that conflict. Yeah. But essentially what it is, is it's a love story and love stories are just different. Love stories are not necessarily romantic, but they are very much about 
about a deep connection and affection between two people. And um, so both kinds of stories uh, have incredible value, you know, in both ways. You can have a romance without a love story and you can have a love story without a romance. If you end up having both together, which is, I think, what we end up getting um, with Buffy and Angel, though Buffy and Angel are much more star-crossed lover romance than they are really true love story. And I know that the Angel and Buffy chippers out there are going to like have an issue with that, but just understand there's a difference between the, the thing that is primarily a love story and thing that's primarily a romance. Buffy and Angel mm-hmm. are primarily romance. But we have a ton of valuable love stories throughout the run of Buffy. I mean, we've got Buffy and Giles, which is a wonderful love story. We've got mm-hmm. Buffy and Willow, which is another wonderful love story. Xander and Willow are also a great love story, and we see that kind of culminate at the end of season six. Um, Tara and Willow are a romantic couple, um, but they are much more a love story than they are a romance. There's nothing at the core. They're two witches. There's nothing at the core of who they are, you know, that makes them incompatible or makes the romance impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really are just a story about two people who love each other very much. And uh, we get that later on when uh, Buffy's sister Dawn arrives in season four or in season five. So we have a lot of love stories throughout Buffy, but this, this relationship with Angel is the one real romance that is written in this in this uh, story and I absolutely love it (laughs) I love that distinction between a romance and a love story Mm -hmm. and that you can have one without the other or you can have both together Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's such a powerful way of understanding relationships in fiction and I just love that it's it's really fun. And when you think about it that way, it kind of gives you as a writer, like a little more control over what you're doing, you know, what you're what you're yes. doing with your story. And when you tell a romance, like the romance, you know, the thing about the romance that makes that work is that it's it's always a romantic story. It's not like, you know, Xander and Willow want to be really good friends, but they can't, you know, and that's what brings it into this really hyperbolic, incredibly heightened place that makes it so much fun and you know Buffy and Angel are one of the classics like uh, Claire and Jamie from Outlander in the first book they have Mm -hmm. a similar situation that's a fantastic romance of course Romeo and Juliet is a great example of romantic conflict. I don't know if it's a great example of a love story. They're just two dumb kids, but right. um, but you know, but that's there. Like, and that's a great example to go to when you're talking about romantic conflict. No amount of talking is going to make Romeo not a Montague, you know, right? Um, and no amount of talking is going to make Angel not a vampire. So no mm-hmm. matter what, they have to find a way. Like the the love between them has to be strong enough to you know overcome the apparently insurmountable. And this is a story that we're going to be telling you know throughout the first three seasons of Buffy as we go through you know their relationship and um, and it's wonderfully done and it's so fun this first beat of that story is so fantastic I love this episode so what did you think about the episode overall overall I think the episode is really really excellent Mm -hmm. Um, I do not respond to the romance the way that Mm -hmm. you do and I don't know I mean, I don't know if that's just me. I don't tend to gravitate toward those kinds of stories in general Uh um, because I read a lot of the the tropes and the trappings of romance as kind of creepy. So when Angel is... 
yeah, when mm-hmm. Angel is sort of, you know, lurking around, I understand yeah. that the show wants us to see that as sort of sexy and mysterious. And to me, it's just creepy. I no, just... I completely understand that. Like Edward from the Twilight series, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's stalking her. Like, it's creepy. But part of, I think, how that appeals to like a romantic sensibility is this idea that he loves her so much he can't stay away from her, you know? And and that does translate into creepy behavior. And there is some of that. I'm absolutely not going to tell you that it's not there because you know what? It's there. Like, it's absolutely there. Um, but it's not as bad here as it is in in some other instances and um and angels you know lurking is also partially like a protection thing he knows things that she doesn't know he is trying to help her you know with the work and so i always see his lurking more as a um as a co-worker thing than as a romantic thing so it doesn't strike me as creepy in the same way that like edward and bella from twilight are Right. He's not he's not stalking her. But Mm -hmm. just for me, there's this kind of there's this huge imbalance in power. He's Mm -hmm. much older than she is. He knows things she doesn't know. He can find her, but she can't find him. He Um, knows where she lives. She doesn't know where he lives. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I realize that that is not... um, necessarily part of the romance but Mm -hmm. that makes it difficult for me as a viewer to root for them as a couple does that make sense no yeah I mean especially if you actually think about it he's 240 years old she's 16 like yeah she's also the slayer and while she is technically a child right you know she's Mm -hmm. coded as a woman like and this is one of the things like the same way that anything sentient in any story is coded as human whether or not they are technically human they're all coded as human we read them as human um and so that's something that we've got here, which is a problem with Angel, because if Angel was a human guy who was 22 and she was 16, I'd be like, gross. He's 240. And yeah. She's 16, you know, and yet because of her being coded as so much older, you know, because this is told from her perspective and not from his, because they are so well matched the the and and also that he is coded as young i mean he's 240 but he mm-hmm. looks you know 19 20 yeah. you know so i mean like that's another thing is that he is even though he has all of this experience all of this age you know all of this presumed wisdom right um yeah. that it doesn't feel predatory the way that in any other circumstance, the way that, say, if Willow was dating somebody who was, you know, 20 or 22, um, would feel predatory. And it's because she's the slayer. And because because of that, it sort of changes that context. Although in reality, it's super gross. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a child. Yeah. And I do, I, I get it. I sort of like the idea that being the slayer mm-hmm. makes her somehow outside of the usual rules about age because she's being forced to um, risk her life. Mm-hmm. And she does have these supernatural abilities. I mean, she's stronger right. and faster and all of these. They're so, you know, 
yes, in the world, she is 16 years old. And that is something that the show, I think, is really working on trying to Mm -hmm. reconcile. I mean, that's kind of the point of the show, is it not? That she's the 16-year-old girl who is also tied to this ancient Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, line of knowledge and ability. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like the the rules of age don't really apply. Well, the rules of age are really about the power differential, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have like an older person who knows and understands things that the younger person does not know and understand, then you have a situation in which a young person can be easily manipulated and, um, you know, and used, right? You know, Mm -hmm. and also that it tends to be that when somebody, you know, much older goes after somebody much younger, it does feel predatory. You know, Mm -hmm. it does feel like it's not about who that person is, but the fact that this older person really wants a young teenager has some kind of fetish or, you know, obsession or something like that. In which case, as soon as the teenager grows up, it's not love, you know, because the teenager grows up and then, you know, the older person doesn't want that person anymore because they're too old. Right. You know. Right. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of these. It's about control. It's about power. I mean, so Mm -hmm. many times, you know, sexual romantic relationships can be twisted in this thing about power because Buffy has her own power because Buffy is stronger. I mean, she's stronger than the vampires. She can kill Angel if she wants to. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so um, the fact that she has so much power that she does, you know, that she has grown up much faster. She is not really naive about Angel. I mean, maybe a little bit in that thing where she's like, well, couldn't he be a good vampire? Like when we get to that part, you know. Um, But, you know, but she really does have the 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 experience of being the slayer has made her grow up so while i very much you know feel that like a, a, a power differential from age especially in this in this frame in this like you know 16 17 kind of age where where children are transitioning into adulthood, but they don't have the experience, they don't have the knowledge, they don't understand what it is that they're getting into, and they can be completely easily manipulated. I mean, mm-hmm. any circumstance in which somebody is incredibly vulnerable and is manipulated by someone who wants something from them, in you know, in that way, it's it's all creepy and bad. Yeah, you know, it's all predatory. Um, so I mean, that kind of thing, like yeah, but because of all of these, we have all of these elements in this story that in this very particular instance and because his interest in her is something that he is trying to avoid he's not going mm-hmm. after her that way he says we can't be together i do want to kiss you and that's one of the things i love about angel he's always extremely like honest he's straightforward like he doesn't mm-hmm. play these games you know i want to yeah. kiss you i can't I need to like not be here, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And uh, and so I appreciate that with him. So there's so many things that kind of in that arena give this relationship a pass. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are very, very specific to this instance. And I can understand anybody who is still highly troubled by that whole thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't like Angel and Buffy together because of all, uh, any of these elements. Like, I completely understand that. But because it's a story, because I understand all those, you know, like subtle differences, because I'm not like I understand, but like, uh, you know, it's it's in the story. All of these things that sort of give it a pass are, are in the story. I think that it, it I understand why it can work. Yes, I I do think that some of the the creep factor with Angel is meant to work into that foreshadowing he's a vampire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I just I I love Angel as a vampire. I love mm-hmm. that this is where the story's going and I've been watching all along for clues about Angel being a vampire. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't remember whether I had that element of the show spoiled for me when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably did, but I've been trying to put myself in the headspace of someone watching the show for the first time. Um, and I feel like that twist makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it does. It's one of those things, like a good twist. If you go back and watch the material before it, there's nothing, you know, that, um, that, that belies it. There's nothing that would contradict, you know, what the reality of the situation is. And so I think they did that very well. Right. And when we say that something in fiction makes sense or that it, it feels plausible, Mm -hmm. what we're usually talking about is foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And that the twist follows the rules of the world. Um, Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like they did a great job of setting that up mm-hmm. as well. Like it feels really possible yeah. <laughs> for him to be a vampire. Um, but that moment when he turns, when they're kissing and he he goes all vamp mm-hmm. is really fascinating and kind of puzzling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they kiss and they really start to get into it and he pulls away and then vamp face. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of Batmans out the window because he's Angel. Right. Um, <laughs> That's Angel's first Batman. I love it. It is. Yeah. And he like <laughs> slithers down the house. Yes. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I need Vampire Physiology 101. Right. Mm-hmm. Because what happens here? I mean, other than we're showing we're showing the audience that Angel's a vampire and this mm-hmm. romance is doomed Um, because he can't be a good vampire um is vamp face tied to arousal is it loss of control is he just hungry because he's been stuck in buffy's room all day Um, and based on the way the scene is played i'm guessing it's meant to be an indicator of arousal um Mm -hmm. both in the sexual sense of the word but also in the more general sense um Mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be a kind of pleasure response component to vamp face i'm thinking about uh darla in this episode Mm -hmm. when she's peering in the window at joyce yes Mm -hmm. and then later when she's taunting buffy at the end she's in vamp face the whole time and i think there's something about the pleasure of I mean we'll talk about Darla because oh my god I love Darla yeah Um, (laughs) but there's something about the pleasure of I am in control in this moment I am I am Mm -hmm. powerful in this moment Um, so I guess then that doesn't align with my my suspicion that maybe it's loss of control in this moment for Angel I don't know I don't know what to make of it 
It's not terribly consistent. And the thing is, is that we have two uh, basic things at war here. Like one of them is how we want the story to present, right? We don't want to see Darla looking like a young girl getting, you know, stabbed. And like the vampires, when they get dusted or, you know, when they're like evil, when they're doing evil things, they need to look like vampires, right? So that we don't look like we're killing humans. That is, you mm-hmm. know, so we don't cross that line. So part of that is the need of production. Uh, Angel turning vamp in the middle of the kiss. Part of that is, you know, how how much more dramatic could we possibly make it, right? And I think they do end up, paying a little bit out of the world building budget for that right because overall generally um we are going to see throughout the run of the series many vampires have complete sex and never vamp never have vamp face right Mm -hmm. when they're having sex they're in human mode and that's generally what we see right because nobody wants to have to film you know a sex scene with somebody in vamp face where you're kissing up all over these plastic oh, things hey that are no. into your face. Okay. <laughs> somebody wants to see I that. I will say nobody, right? I will say I think that generally um, when, when we see those tender moments, we want them to be tender and human. And then when right. we see the evil moments, we want those to be demonic, you know, right. so that that's how we kind of separate those things. But yeah, um, my understanding of vamp face, you know, with with certain moments like this, you know, notwithstanding, right, um, that vamp face is something that a vampire can pull on or pull off at will. They can um, they can go into vamp face and they can go out of it. Um, when they go into vamp face, they are more vampire like they're always like even in human form they're always exceptionally strong but when they're in vamp face it's sort of like um engaging you know overdrive right you know they're just they're full-on vampire they've got full-on vampire strength and powers and all that kind of stuff um but it can also come on involuntarily usually when the feed is upon them when Mm -hmm. uh when they see human blood when they you know that kind of thing like especially if it's like angel and he is trying to avoid that whole thing right you know but human blood like when he when he grabs Joyce you know and sees the blood like that is the the involuntary vamp face you know that happens right. to him because that's just a, a natural instinct taking over you know um, so so there is an involuntary measure to it but it is also completely voluntary so when we have Darla appearing in the window at Joyce the choice is from a production standpoint like what's going to be the creepiest moment here how are we going to feel the menace of Darla to its maximum extent um and that is by having darla in vamp face same thing with the end you know of the of the episode where we've got the big conflict with darla she is in vamp face the whole time yet she's not about to feed she is in vamp face it makes her more powerful which would make her better in the fight but for reasons of which we will never understand she's got guns she's doing this like western you know two shooter thing which is just a bizarre thing especially because guns and Buffy um, are pretty much universally reviled and guns are bad for fiction guns are bad for storytelling because they because of the the power differential right soon as somebody has a gun they have all this unearned power and unearned power you know throws everything out of balance and it's also not interesting it's not interesting fictionally it's not interesting anyway vamp power is earned because they paid for it with their soul 
right? You know, um, so they've got all this supernatural power, but they don't have a soul anymore. And so now they're just demons, you know, um, and Buffy's power is earned. I mean, kind of, she was chosen, but she also works really hard at it. She's training with Giles, you know, her power is earned. So we have Darla in this scene with these guns and this unearned power, which is just completely bizarre and something that, that we're going to address a few times throughout the run of Buffy with the general consensus being, I think, with the exception of this scene where guns aren't really guns are there and they're weird and they don't really belong there and it's just a weird part of the scene um but uh, but generally in Buffy if a gun is in a scene we're making a statement about how how bad guns are how bad that unearned power is and how incredibly dangerous that unearned power is we're going to have that discussion a few times throughout the run of Buffy um but overall as far as you know getting back to vamp face and vamp physiology um <laughs> generally most of the textual evidence that we we get throughout the run of Buffy and also, you know, over in, in the Angel series, which does have a slightly shifted cosmology there. Um, but generally, it is that the vampire face is completely under their control, that it is like, uh, you know, revving up into overdrive, but also can have an involuntary um element to it. But that is not typically related to sex or sexual arousal. Awesome. So how, how'd that work for you? <laughs> <laughs> I just got a little no, lecture was... off top of oh, my that head. That was great. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, some of it is textually inconsistent, but I think that yeah. overall that's generally the rule. Yeah. Well, and some of it, at least in this scene with Buffy and Angel, is deeply symbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Joyce responds to Buffy's scream, Buffy says, I saw a shadow. Yeah. And I said out loud in my living room, one hell of a shadow. Right. Um, but then I got to thinking about that symbolically mm-hmm. because that's the relationship fear. I mean, isn't it? You get close to someone, you have feelings for them. Maybe you fantasize about them mm-hmm. and write about it in your diary. <laughs> And then when things get physical, they rip the mask off and become a totally different person. I mean, I yeah. feel like, I I mean, I have known relationships that have gone that way to mm-hmm. one degree or another. Um, yeah. But... On the other hand, I mean, it seems like a kind of natural outcome of the guy who's always hanging around and being mysterious and creepy in the shadows. I mean, of course, he's a scary monster who will totally kill you if he gets the chance. Yeah. So... I don't know. So if we want to get all symbolic, I feel like I saw a shadow becomes shorthand for I saw the natural progression of the trope of romantic stalking and the bad boy hero. Yes. I mean, OK. I, first of all, I love this. I want to spend a little time unpacking the shadow. Right. Yeah. Um, because it is it is really interesting. And I mean, and she could have said I saw a spider. She could have said, you know, anything, right? You know, Um, but it's I saw a shadow. And I think that that is, I don't know if they intended it that way, but it is, you know, kind of significant in that way. Um, And it it is kind of, um, because we do have some of this and and throughout the run of Buffy with the relationship with Angel, this this idea that, you know, this guy, he's all wonderful and lovely. And then you sleep with him. We're going to have that later in season two. Right. And then he turns into a monster. Mm-hmm. This is like the precursor to that. Right. This is right. the pre-shadow. This is she sees this element in him. She knows that he's a vampire. She knows what he is. Right. Um, but then there's the but. Right. But he has a soul. 
but he's not a bad vampire right you know all of these excuses that we make when we see the red flag i think that the the face turning is a red flag right um that this is something that is part of this if he's a bad if he's stalking you it's not romantic this is going to end badly like Mm -hmm. there is that element within him that makes him prone to that sort of behavior and that is his shadow self now you know, going into reality and everything, reality is no defense for fiction. It is no excuse for fiction either. They're different animals. Fiction is the boiling down of the essence of reality into something that we can understand that is somewhat simplified and very focused in telling one particular part of the story, right? But we do have this element of shadow in Angel, which is textually acknowledged. Meanwhile, we have Shadow Xander, Right. That is never textually yes. acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And yet these are kinds of kind of two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Yeah, in a way, they definitely are. You know, that, and there is a shadow part of everybody. Like everybody mm-hmm. has shadow. We're going to see Willow having shadow. We're going to see Giles having shadow. You yes. know, everybody has shadow elements to them. But at what point are they more shadow than light? You know, and I think that we have a lot of those in various degrees, you know, throughout the run of Buffy through a lot of these different characters, which I think is is really interesting. Um, and then we have, you know, Darla, right? The master, you know, the anointed one. Um, and, uh, and and they are all shadow. They are nothing but shadow. Mm-hmm. Um so so that's kind of an interesting thing, too, right? You know, we have this relationship that we see, this history of the relationship, right, with Darla and Angel, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we were running through Europe together. Angel was supposed to sit at the master's right hand. You know, they were, they had, they had the band together, you know. Um, yeah. and, uh, and they have this long history and this long relationship. And there is, you know, like, I mean, I don't think we get it necessarily textually, but subtextually, very close to the text, we have this hint that this was a romantic sexual relationship between Darla and Angelus, you know. Um, Also, we have Angelus, who is, you know, who Angel was and Angel, who Angel is now. And that whole split, I mean, he is a completely split identity. We're going to see that unfolding throughout the run of Buffy. Um, So all of it, I think, is is really interesting. And and from this simple line, I saw a shadow, you know, um, there's so much to unpack from that throughout the rest of the run of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you say subtextually, but I think textually we have Angel and Darla. I think I it's mean, fairly, t- but I mean, does she say anything about like we were together? They were they were killing people together, but I don't know that we necessarily, we get a, a hint that there's this sexual sense to them. There's definitely a sexual element to their relationship, but I don't think they textually say that. But I mean, I guess in the in the way that they are with each other, that's text. The way that, yeah, yeah. the way mm-hmm. they are with each other, the way she moves through his space when mm-hmm. she's in his home. Yeah. Um, the way she runs her fingers across his bed. Yeah. And then the way, I mean, they do have a physical interaction. Mm-hmm. And then the next time we see Darla, she is wearing red instead of blue, which Interesting. is a pretty strong indicator um, to my visual sensibility that they had sex off screen in this episode yes <gasps> yes oh oh man mind blown never no yes no she's... they didn't have sex yes they do she did she's... not have sex with oh her. yes they do he's <laughs> he's holding her she... I think it's the th- second or third time she comes to see him 
Yeah. And um Well, doesn't she only go to see him once? No. Oh God. Uh-uh, Obviously I wasn't she... paying attention. Yeah. Oh, I am here. I am here for Angel and Darla. Angel yeah. and Buffy. Meh. Angel and Darla <laughs> give me all of it. I love it. <laughs> I love them together. I love it. Um, no, but there's a moment she goes to see him and they're talking about she is um trying to remind him of who he is uh-huh. and she frames it very much like a sexual identity you know okay. don't deny who you are don't deny right. what you want all of that and then he gets a little bit rough with her mm-hmm. yeah. and she says um she says you're hurting me that's good uh-huh and there's this i mean they're very cl- he's i think he's got her up against the wall yeah. and their faces are very close together yeah I I mean, and then she's in a different outfit the next time we see her. So, but she leaves though. Don't we see her leave? Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, I mean, symbolically, from a visual, right, 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 visual representation <laughs> standpoint, she's wearing blue, uh-huh, which is right. the color. Yeah, I mean, that's a heroine color, right? Mm-hmm. We see Buffy in blue all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a romantic heroine color. But then when we see her at the end in full vamp face after she's been with Angel, she's wearing red. And we see that often in fiction um, when a couple has consummated their relationship off screen, Mm -hmm. we will see the female character change into red clothing. Interesting. That is really interesting. Um, Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Like, we'll throw it out to to the listeners and see what they think. Did Darla and Angel have sex in this episode? You tell us. Hashtag still pretty. Um... So, yeah, no, that's interesting. It, it would never have occurred to me that he would have slept with her because, like, he is he is this tormented, Byronic hero. And he, like, by nature, will deny himself what he wants. You know, he wants to kiss Buffy, but he says, I can't and I shouldn't. And, you know, and then, of course, he does. Mm-hmm. And both times that he kisses Buffy, right, the first time he vamps out, she screams, and that does not yeah. end well. And the second time he kisses her, he gets burned in the chest. Like he gets burned mm-hmm. in, with a cross right over his heart. Like mm-hmm. there is, he, there will always be a price to pay for him and Buffy. There's always Absolutely. a cost, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I find that kind of, but like because of that essential Byronic nature, you know, to Angel, um, I don't see him giving in to anything like you know he's got blood bags in his you know refrigerator he hasn't fed off a living Mm -hmm. human in you know 80 years since the the curse um and uh and so i don't see him giving into a physical temptation that way either feeding off of joyce even though you know his face goes right and he's he's constantly fighting that he's always fighting what he wants you know be it Mm -hmm. buffy be it um be it Joyce, you know, or drinking blood from a human or be it, you know, Darla in that scene. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously they have a history together. Like it's, it's yeah. I think, I think, I think, you know, I'm wrong. I, it is textual just because it's not in the words in the script doesn't mean it's not textual. We see it on the screen. You know, there is, there is a sexual vibe between them. There's a history there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I find I that, mean, I find that interesting, but the, the change not to red is interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's not a hill I'm willing to die on, but... Oh, I think it's a really interesting idea. I mean, I think think that something something sexual beyond what we see on screen happens between Angel Mm -hmm. and Darla 
in the, in that moment after yeah. we after we leave after we cut away to wherever we go after that mm-hmm. i think something happens between them um yeah. because he is he is very um he's tempted in that moment and she's very persuasive with him the way she says oh, yeah. In the it's the previous I think it's the previous time that mm-hmm. she comes to see him, and she says, "I'm not afraid of you." I bet she is though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this, I have your number. I have Buffy's number. Mm-hmm. Way she's got so much. I know um, everything, right? Yeah. yeah she's got mm-hmm. so much confidence in her own um, ability, mm-hmm. her own her knowledge of the situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's some, for me there's something there. No, um, I like but we it. yeah. But a lot of the a lot of what I love about this episode is the performances oh, yeah. from pretty much everybody. I mm-hmm. mean, there are some good performances in this episode. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Stewart Head is delightful. Mm-hmm. Allison Hannigan is a joy. Yeah. And Christine Sutherland, oh my God. Yeah. Joyce is barely in this episode, but Good Lord, when she's going up to bed mm-hmm. and she says, and Buffy, and gives her that look yeah. and Angel's standing there. <laughs> Joyce's face as she goes mm-hmm. up the stairs is so wonderful. It is first class. It's late and I'm tired, but we are going to talk about this later. Right. <laughs> like it's mom face. It is a plus mom face. Yeah, she does a great job. And I especially love when she's in the hospital, right? She's like, well, I think... They said it was a barbecue fork, but we don't have a barbecue fork. We don't have a barbecue fork. (laughs) Well, and in the hospital, I mean, I have been post blood loss a couple times in the hospital, not Mm -hmm. not due to vampire attack, thank goodness. Um, Mm -hmm. But she is appropriately loopy and sentimental. Mm -hmm. Like that rang so true for me. She's just like, I just love everybody. Right. People at this school really care. Like, oh, the school just... is so great. Yeah, no, it's really yeah. nice. And this is, of course, the first time that Joyce and Giles meet, which is a big moment. Yes. Right? You know, I mean, the thing is, like, this episode is so about Buffy and Angel, and it's so huge that, you know, you kind of forget these, like, little things in the background. And Joyce and Giles meeting for the first time. I mean, Joyce and Giles are going to have a, a complicated and, and what I think is kind of a... Um, a stunted relationship like it mm. never it never goes where it should go I'm a, I'm a big Joyce and Giles shipper like <laughs> I I love Joyce and Giles I want them together we get a little bit of that in band candy in season three but mm-hmm. you know but we never really see that all the way through um but I love the relationship between the two of them um it's very very sweet and even though it you know ultimately because the only time they actually are together is when they're both under an influence and as we know in Buffy you're never responsible for what you do when under the influence of something right Mm -hmm. you know um at the same time like i i always kind of want to i'm always frustrated by the fact that we never really get anything like that with with giles and joyce but at the same time i think that that would would bring us into like a a more soap opera space where like everybody who could possibly be the same age and inclined toward each other is going to have to have sex you know right um so the way that they did it was actually very fun and everything but i always kind of 
like I like that relationship and I like seeing them. I would even have just enjoyed them being close friends, you know, and mm-hmm. they never really get that close emotionally, which is something I would have loved to have seen with the two of them. But whatever. That's fine. What it is is great. And it's fun to see them meet for the first time. Um, yeah. Allison Hannigan is also really fantastic um, in this episode. And especially because she she does like Willow has this sort of very childlike approach to the romance of it, mm-hmm. you know, and she's like, oh, and then he kissed you and then all this stuff, you know, and she's got this whole thing. Yeah. And then she's like, well, what about the children? And I'm like, Jesus, she's 16. Let's slow your roll. Willow. <laughs> you know? But that is a very kind of like um, this, this sort of sweet, young, naive thought about love and it's just the romance and it's so exciting it's all this stuff but none of it's based in any kind of reality Um, Mm -hmm. and it's really fun to see Allison Hannigan play that that innocence and that naivete up especially up against you know here we have Buffy who is forced to grow up much faster than she should um, who Mm -hmm. does not have that innocence you know and then all the way over in the end of the spectrum to Angel who doesn't have any innocence left like like it's it's, no. gone. it's been gone a long time, you know, yeah. um, due to seeing some shit, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I find that like really fun to see Allison Hannigan play the 16 year old that Buffy never got to be. Yeah. And again, I mean, we've talked about Willow being an access character to Xander. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Willow loves Xander. I love Xander. Mm-hmm. Even when I really don't love Xander. Right. Because Willow is all starry-eyed about this romance. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Like, Uh, okay. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) All right, Angel and Buffy, fine. Fine. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Like, if Willow is is fawning over it, I'm just like, oh, Willow. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, I don't know. Like, I understand, I completely understand and respect anybody who has a problem with Buffy and Angel because there are, there are problems, but... If you just let it go, if you just say, all right, if you just say, you know, all right, I'm here, I'm on the ride, the little metal bar has come down over my lap, I'm in, you know, like, let's, let's go ahead and do this thing. If you just, if you just concede that because Buffy's the slayer, she is not a child, um, that, that childhood Try ends in like different it. places for different people. This is not Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, which is the most abhorrent power differential anywhere. And we'll never talk about that because I'll just rant for an hour. Um, you know, <laughs> but I mean, this is, um, this is not an abuse of power between no. Angel and Buffy and he would not force himself on her. He is not fetishizing her. He is not, he is not interested in her because she's a child. He's interested in her because she's Buffy, you know? Right. And so like that, I just, I, I, you know, and Angel and Buffy are not my, my favorites. You know, I actually mm-hmm. much prefer Buffy and Spike. I think that's a much more interesting I do um, too. thing. And it also has this, this very deep love story that I, that I enjoy. That mm-hmm. said, I love Angel. I think there's a lot of stuff about Angel that is fun. And every time I watch through the series, I like Angel more every single time I come back to it. Um, And it is so beautifully built. A vampire in love with a slayer. I mean, come on. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime romance. you got to just dive in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say, so I've been watching every episode. Yes. Two or three times, mm-hmm. um, you know, once just to watch it, mm-hmm. once to take really, really detailed notes, mm-hmm. and then 
sometimes a third time just to sort of reassess. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, did I really see what I what I thought I saw there? Oh, that's why from now on, you can always trust Noelle's memory of the episode better than mine, because I've seen these all a thousand times, but I watch them in the 45 minutes before we record. Like, I watch it <laughs> once. I take my notes. We're in. We're out. I got another podcast to record. So. <laughs> So Noelle's uh, memory of of details will always be better than mine if it ever comes down to, oh, did that happen from me? And Noelle says, yes, that happened or no, that didn't happen. I think we can trust Noelle. (laughs) So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, So I I I ended up watching this one three times. Mm -hmm. And the first time through, I was a little bit like, yeah, Buffy and Angel, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The second time through... There's some really great, mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about acting choices. David Boreanaz makes some really excellent uh, acting choices that yeah. really made me go, all right. I okay, thought yeah, he this- was just a pretty boy. Like at this point, you know, in my first run through, I was like, oh, he's pretty, you know. And this episode, I think he does get, he does show what he can do. Well, Okay. He shows some of what he can do. Some of what it, yeah. What we see from him throughout the run of both this and Angel um, is phenomenal. He's one of the best actors. Like, he is incredible. And I think really, really, like, undersung because he is so pretty, you know? Um, but he's amazing. And this isn't even close to, like, the best he can do. Like, he gets yeah. he gets better with every episode. But I I definitely felt like I was seeing the first like inkling mm-hmm. of his acting chops. Yeah, um, absolutely. When Buffy is bandaging Angel up, he mm-hmm. smiles just a little bit every time yeah. she makes eye contact with him. Yeah. And I love that choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's sort of looking at her as she's working, but when she meets his gaze, he looks right back at her and there's this teeny little smile that forms. And I'm just like, yes, like that yeah. feels... That feels very authentically like somebody who is trying to um, keep his feelings in his sock drawer mm-hmm. a little bit and right. is failing mm-hmm. because he really he he is really drawn to this girl yeah. um, and not just because she's super powerful and the slayer. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time you know, he says uh, you even look pretty when you go to sleep. I think mm-hmm. this is the first time anybody refers to Buffy as being pretty. Oh, yeah. And I just, I was like, oh, I just made a little note of that. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, when he says, she offers him the bed because he's wounded. And he mm-hmm. says something like, oh, I've had worse in this really weary way. Like he's yeah. been, he, you know, this is mm-hmm. nothing. Yes. This little mm-hmm. scratch is nothing. And it brings us, and then Buffy's sort of taken aback by that. She's, uh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that she's a little flustered. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of something that we'll get later on in the series where we sort of compare vampire slaying with sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of Buffy and Riley when he confesses to her that he's, he's, you know, dispensed with what is it like seventeen vampires? And right. He's very proud of himself, and she just kind of goes, "Uh huh, seventeen? <laughs> no, that's that's a lot." Yeah. yeah. She's like, "I did seventeen on Sunday, but yeah, that's fine." Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's almost that that scene with Riley has a little bit of a we are going over our sexual history. Yes. Oh no, absolutely. Um, And comparing their number. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We get that with Angel in this scene too, where he is, he is 
experienced in a number of ways. And one of those ways is in this, you know, he's fought horribly violent things before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This little, <laughs> this little scratch on his chest is not the end of the world for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's all like, it's just all of that uh, history is under the surface with mm-hmm. David Boreanaz in this episode. And I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, but if we're talking, if we're talking acting and subtext and all of, all of that loveliness, mm-hmm. I got a fangirl all over Julie Benz for a minute because <laughs> damn. <laughs> Yeah, she's, you know what, I, I've never really enjoyed her performance, like, in this <gasps> episode. No, I mean, <gasps> it, it, it feels to me a little overcooked, a little <gasps> overdone, right? You know, I mean, she's, she's vamping, like, she's super mm-hmm. vamping, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, like, yeah, I'll give it to you. You know, I mean, Julie Benz, and, and you know, we're going to see her more throughout the run of the series. We're going to see her over in Angel. Um, you know, in, in that show as well. Um, and I like her more and more and more every time I see her. So I think for me, it, part of it is I see what she does later and her work is more subtle um, mm-hmm. and yet still menacing and interesting and crunchy. So for uh-huh. me, I think it's less that I don't like her here as that it's not my favorite. Like I know what she can do and I see what she does later. And I just get comparative about it. Like, like you know, David Boreanaz does amazing work in this episode. And we do start to see what he's capable of. Um, but he does stuff that's so, so much better, like, as we move on, that this also feels like it's really good, but it feels like just just a drop in the bucket, you know, for what we're going to get from these actors. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I feel the same way about Julie Benz. And I also, I do feel like this performance is just a little bit overcooked. But, you know, but it's it's good. Like, I mean, she's committed She's in it, oh, you know. I love it. I love it. She's a vamp who's a literal vamp. Yep. I mean, come on. <laughs> it works. I don't know. For me, like, Darla has to do all of this exposition heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she does. something about her delivery just makes it work for me. I mean, mm-hmm. the way she says Budapest, I mean, it kind of <laughs> sounds... It sounds kind of dirty and like, I don't know what it is, but I want you to do it to me. Oh, man. No, <laughs> that's she's great. just the most, she is the oldest 25 year old I have ever seen. Like, yeah. she, I believe all of that mm-hmm. history and experience. I just love it. She's got this vocal quality that is similar to Lana Del Rey's singing voice, mm-hmm. the um, the ennui of too much power and unstructured free time. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm tempted to sing Sunnydale Badass to the tune of Summertime Sadness, but I've already sung This Isn't Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I mean, we don't need to sing anymore. It's still pretty. All right. Look, but, I just want to say, as producer yes. of the show and owner of the company... Um, I, you can sing anytime you want. Like I am, I am in, I am down for you singing anytime you want. Just, just want to say blanket invitation, but you know, you do, you do what you're comfortable with. (laughs) Well, next week on the show. No. Yes. Um, but there's just, she just sells it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is the, maybe I like the bad girls. I don't know. Um, (laughs) 
But something about I something about Jarla's relationship with Angel, her relationship with the master, we get to see that more in depth mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, starting with that opening shot where she's apparently springing fully formed out of his head. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> some weird, there's some weird depth of field in this episode. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on with that. We've got this recurring shot where we've got multiple people in the frame and mm-hmm. they're all in focus. Oh, even yeah. Even the people in the background. And it creates that this is always really weird. It's so weird because yeah. it throws off it throws off that that forced perspective. I mean, we're trying to look 3D in 2D and when everyone is in focus, foreground and background, it's kind of like it flattens a, the space. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's like a weird family portrait. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um we have that motif. We have that visual light motif of the family portrait throughout this episode mm-hmm. with different characters in the in the foreground and in the background. Um that and that shows up with lots of different configurations of characters throughout the episode. We start off with Darla and the Master and the Anointed One, whose name we discover is Colin. Is Colin, right? His name is Colin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, there's but there's a there is a moment with um Buffy and Childs mm-hmm. when they're when they're about to do their quarterstaff training where yeah. he's behind her and she's in the foreground and they're both in focus. We've got um, Angel and Darla when she's skulking around his apartment. Uh-huh. She's behind him, but in focus. Um, and then we do get several times this shot with Darla and the master and the anointed. And mm-hmm. the, the it's interesting because the master says... A couple things about family. Yeah. And that at one point he indicates Colin and he says, you see how we all work together for the common good? That's how a family is supposed to function. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Darla uh-huh. and the master and Colin is this weird little nuclear family underground. Uh-huh. And I, I kind of want to say more about that, but I also don't really know what to say about that. No, it's interesting. Well, the master does. I mean, the master is definitely prone to this uh, idealization. You know, he he plays into his own mythology, you know, with this idea Mm -hmm. of family. Um, And everybody is loyal to him. You know, everybody is all about him. But he's like, oh, we're family unless you fail to kill the Slayer, in which point, you know, I'll kill you. And, um, you know, I mean, it's 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 really interesting. And I love that you picked out that um, that kind of family portrait, that kind of flat everybody in focus, uh, you know, sense of of family portrait Um, Mm -hmm. in this episode. This episode was directed by Scott Brazil. Uh, He is, I believe, a one time director. This is the I think this is the only episode he directs, although. So I'll, I'll double check that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, but uh, but it's it's kind of an interesting like visual thing that we don't do very much. More often, um, directors opt for a shallow depth of field, you know, because it gives us such mm-hmm. a greater sense of the space. It makes the space feel bigger. TV sets don't uh, aren't always necessarily, you know, like as big as they feel. Sometimes they feel bigger than they are. Sometimes they they look smaller or whatever. It just depends on how we're shooting it and how that how that all comes together. Um, but but choosing specifically to broaden the 
that depth of field so wide that everybody's like in perfect focus. Um, it does give a sense of a flattening of space. It does kind of give it a claustrophobic feel. And I'm wondering if that's deliberate. Do you think we're deliberately going for claustrophobia or is he just like, I just want to see everybody? <laughs> I think that what we're going for is the the groupings mm-hmm. because it's a it's an episode about in the in the broadest sense it's an episode about relationships yeah um, and it's a an episode about family and I mean it the episode is called Angel mm-hmm. and we have some discussion with in in the first scene with Darla about who he is and where he belongs mm-hmm. he's living above ground. Like one of them. Right. Um, and, uh, but he's, he's not, he can't really be in the human world, but mm-hmm. he's not really in the vampire world either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, we've, I think we're showing maybe these little collections of kind of chosen family with Giles and Buffy working mm-hmm. together with the master and his little underground, um, group of followers Mm -hmm. we've got i want to say in the hospital there's a shot in the hallway with buffy and giles in the foreground and xander and willow in the background Mm -hmm. we've got that little family structure there i don't know i think it might be wanting to group everyone together Mm -hmm. in these particular configurations oh that's Um, interesting I mean, yeah. Or it might just be one of those, you know, you look through the camera and go, well, that looks cool. That looks okay. Yeah. (laughs) That looks good. Yeah. I think for for a depth of field that is outside of the norm, for one that's particularly shallow or one that's particularly broad, I think that you have to, you have to take certain steps to make sure that happens. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you do that necessarily as accidentally, you know, as some of them might be. So I I think it probably is purposeful without Mm -hmm. seeing much more of, of Brazil's work. And I'm not familiar with his with his work in any other context than um then I don't know but that is uh that is really interesting I, I love that you pick up stuff like this I've seen this I don't even know how many times I've never noticed that before yeah yeah and really closeness and distance are also themes mm-hmm. um in this episode I mean you know couldn't he be a good vampire like isn't it okay that we're this close right um, yeah mm-hmm. and then when Buffy goes when she decides that no she really has to to kill him mm-hmm. um, because he's, she thinks, has uh, attacked her mother. She chooses the crossbow, yeah. which, you know, for one thing, puts us in that sort of maiden warrior space. I and mean, we're used to seeing mm-hmm. the woman warrior with her bow. Yeah. Um, but also that puts more distance between Buffy and her target. Right. If she were to stake Angel, she would have to get right up close to him and touch him. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to in order to kill him, she is putting literal distance between herself and him. Right. With she can't a weapon stake that, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, ideas ideas about distance and connection, ideas about relationships and what that looks like and mm-hmm. family groupings and who belongs with whom and all of that I think that's we're exploring a little bit of that with I love with it. the shot composition I love it I yeah. think that's great yeah 
But speaking of that scene, yes, where Buffy goes to to kill Angel, um, let's talk a little bit about Darla and her unearned power with those guns. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit already about how guns are are strange (laughs) in the Buffyverse, but I think it's very interesting that Darla shows up, you know, in her in her red outfit with her Mm -hmm. full vamp face, just completely sure that she has all the power here. Yeah. Um, And she's brought guns. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm interested. Did you, do you see something in the guns? Like the guns have always felt to me like this. It's, it's creepy in the sense that it's so cognitively dissonant. Right. Because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, here we have Buffy, right? The modern girl, right? Yeah. Using a crossbow, using an ancient weapon, right? And a weapon mm-hmm. that does not have the kind of the level of unearned power. It is a it is a weapon of distance. But, you know, you shoot it once, you've got to restring it. You've got to, you know, like, and it's and it's not a modern weapon. You know, I mean, it is something that, that gives you different power, but it's not necessarily a whole bunch of unearned power. Whereas with guns... You're just shooting, you know, you're yeah. shooting like mad and um, and you can do an incredible amount of damage, you know, without really understanding like how how it works. And that's that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the unearned power comes from. Um, guns have have a crazy power differential, you know, and that's that's why they are so incredibly dangerous, you know, um, and why they're, they're not fun in storytelling, because you get that power differential. It's unearned and like, you know, it, it's over, you know. Um, yeah. So here we have Darla, who has this ancient history, you know, my my family goes back to the, uh, you know, to the beginning of the colonial times or whatever. So we have the sense like she has lived, she is old, she is Mm -hmm. of an ancient time. And yet we have her using this, this, you know, fairly modern weapon in a way that that does feel somewhat dissonant. Um, And it adds a little bit when you see a vampire with guns, it adds a little bit to that creepiness because not only is she already a vampire, not only is she already, you know, supernaturally strong, not only does she have the ability to kill people like with her teeth, you know, mm-hmm. um, not only is her, her very nature, you know, that she literally, it's not just killing people. It is feeding off of them. Right. You know, all yeah. of that brings into this, this idea of vampire, you throw guns in there and it just feels so wildly out of context and it, yeah. it feels wildly in the wrong space. I'm I'm really curious to see what you saw there. I definitely saw um a kind of overconfidence and cockiness and mm-hmm. something that Darla has been building up the whole episode really. She's um it starts off we start off with Darla and she's in awe of the three. She mm-hmm. um, echoes the master saying, you know, he'll send the three. And then they fail and she gets to dust them. Yes. With all of this glee. Mm-hmm. She's just so delighted to be doing that, um, both as an act of violence and as an act of service to mm-hmm. the master. Mm-hmm. So she's over the course of the episode, she's her power and her sense of herself and her importance really builds um, when she uh, makes her way into Buffy's house, mm-hmm. when she's talking to Joyce and making jokes about 
oh, my family sort of goes back to those times. Mm -hmm. That's a joke. I mean, it's a joke for the audience, but it's a joke for herself. Right. Mm -hmm. She's making a joke for herself because she is delighted by her own cleverness Mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, And then, uh, let's see. And then she is she kind of lords over angel mm-hmm. in her scenes with him she i mean she throws joyce's body at him yeah um you know in this very um dominant sort of way you know mm-hmm. just say yes you know you, like you know you want to there's this real um you know, I said it earlier that she really has Angel's number. She mm-hmm. feel like, feels like she has Buffy's number. So by the time we get to this last scene mm-hmm. where Darla is confident that her, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, seduction of Angel, yeah. the way that she's been talking to him about who he is, who Buffy is, um, you know, where he belongs... She's very confident that her plan is working. Mm-hmm. She's sassy. Before then, she she talks back to the master mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. She steps out of line there a little bit. And, you know, as her, her confidence in her own um, evil cleverness yeah. grows, we finally get to this point at the end where she's full vamp face, guns a-blazing she just has no mm-hmm. it never crosses her mind that she might lose she has like no fucks to give she's like yeah i'll take no guns fucks to give. no <laughs> fucks to give it's just and guns feel so mundane in the yeah. supernatural yeah world. In, that, in that context they absolutely do yeah especially for someone like darla mm-hmm. who could just you know leap on buffy and yeah bite her Mm -hmm. possibly you know and kill her that way to say you know what i don't even care enough Mm -hmm. to be all vampire vampirery right (laughs) vampirey you're not even worth the vamp Um, out right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna i'm gonna stand here and um shoot you Mm -hmm. i'm gonna shoot at you right you know so many bullets so or so what is it so many body parts. So few bullets, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's just and I don't, I don't know much about guns, but that was a whole lot of bullets for two tiny little guns. That was. It was. Yeah. It was wretched excess. It was wretched on purpose. Excess, I mean, really? Yeah. yeah, it felt nutty to me. Like it just felt so like. And there's there's a space for that kind of cognitive dissonance, like within a story, but it felt it felt completely outside. It just felt like a a wrong call in this moment for for Darla. And while I enjoy the the wild excess of it, you know, um, I I think I would have enjoyed a little more traditional. I think part of the thing that bugs me with Darla is that there is so much going on with her like there's so much of interest Mm -hmm. and and, you know and I mean you know we've dusted her and yet somehow we're going to be seeing her again in the future so yeah I mean that's going to be it'll be over an angel but you know it's 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 really interesting and there's so much more depth and so from from our perspective in this episode Darla purely within the context of just this episode 
she mm-hmm. is portrayed very much as the crazy ex-girlfriend, right? She's nuts. <laughs> she's over the top. Yes. It's, you know, mm-hmm. and it feels like yeah. this, you know, she's completely like there's there's nothing to her side of this, you know, like her side of this, which becomes so much more interesting when we get it later on is, you know, we did these things together. We were a team. You know, you were my love as much as I can love yeah. because I'm a vampire. Like, you know, right. we, we did this and we had this relationship. And you're giving it up for her, you know, for Mm -hmm. a schoolgirl, like all that kind of stuff. Like I would have loved to have seen something from Darla with as much time as we spend with her where um, where it's not just like, you know, the pinwheels in the eyes, crazy ex-girlfriend stuff. That there's that there's a little bit more going on with her that we kind of can see her jealousy, her, um, you know, she's she's lost and jealous for like 80 years. They're finally reunited. Like that's, you know, that's there's got to be a thing like the You know, I would have liked to have seen what we're going to get from her later. Um, So Mm -hmm. in this episode, it's not my favorite Darla. It's not my favorite moment with Darla, but I do appreciate it for what it is. But the guns still like if I could go and erase anything from this episode, it's the guns. The guns take us into camp. You know, it just Mm -hmm. gets campy in that moment. And I don't think that like in this episode where we are really hitting some really nicely formed emotional notes that haven't Darla out here, you know, like, like, you know, damned Annie Oakley. It's just, it's a bit too much, (laughs) you know? So, um, yeah. Oh, I love it. If she had been, if she had been vamped, if she had been turned into a vamp in like, you know, like the American West, I'd be into it. I'd be like, all right, you're bringing a little bit of yourself, but it's colonial times. Like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And then her last line, I I find Darla's, you know, she, she gets dusted here and I'm so sad to see her go. Yeah. Um, but she says, she's sure she's won. And she says, come on, Buffy, take it like a man. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, uh, mm-hmm. excuse me? Like, what what does David Greenwald think that phrase means? I, I wonder. Think, I think it was meant ironically um, because, yeah. you know, because one girl in all the world and she's the most powerful thing. And then to still right. say, take it like a man, I think that was meant ironically. Um, but yeah, it, it clunks a little bit. Yeah. But then here we've got that's the thing that does it. That's the line that does it. After she says that to Buffy, mm-hmm. that's when Angel stakes her. Right. Mm hmm. And I, so I love that moment so much. She's she's super super dominant and scary, and she's speaking low in her register. Mm-hmm. And then Angel stakes her, and she turns around, and her voice goes up two octaves. Yeah, mm-hmm. Angel. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's this betrayal and this total. To, I mean, totally blindsided. Yeah. By him turning on her in that way and I just I love it I Uh love the the vocal shift I love the nuance Mm -hmm. um it's fascinating to me I love the way she's dominant with women Mm -hmm. in the episode and she's dominant with Angel too except she wants to be submissive to him Mm -hmm. when the when she is most um sure of her hold over him is when 
he's holding her yeah and mm-hmm. hurting her mm-hmm. and i'm just i love their relationship dynamic so much and i am here for angel yes. and darla and just, <laughs> no it is really great get, it is really good i yeah, kind of wish she had called him angelus though because that's oh, who she knows like his uh, oh, the split in angel's identity is yeah. so sharp you know and and we're mm-hmm. so early like I'm coming at this from a context of having seen everything yeah, yeah, yeah. in both series. So, I mean, it's not something in the moment, but like, you know, she would know him as Angelus. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the oh, guy yeah. she knows. She doesn't know Angel. She's not interested right. in Angel. She's not speaking to Angel. When she's in his right. apartment trying to get him to kill Buffy, she's speaking yeah. to Angelus. Like, that's the mm-hmm. dude she knows. And um, to be betrayed by Angel is expected. To be betrayed by yes. Angelus, well, actually, knowing Angelus would also be expected. <laughs> Right, but then you but, would yeah. play it a little bit differently, right, I think. You yeah. would play it like both uh, both the sorrow at being chosen, being, but the sorrow at not being chosen mm-hmm. in the romantic sense and the pleasure at seeing that last glimmer of violent angel yeah. of angelus mm-hmm. before she's dusted yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot you could do there yeah no it's it's it's, it's pretty the, good it's, they didn't have all of that at the time the no, people writing this no. they, they had yet to build all of that but even so like if you look at even what we know textually in this episode she would know him as angelus that's yeah, the guy absolutely. she'd be talking to so i don't absolutely. know that's just my thing all right so i think we've covered most everything that we had to talk about in this fantastic episode um do you have anything for the girl power moment of the week um i do it's very subtle yeah um that's all right i, love I subtle. Mean, not subtle but uh when buffy fights the three mm-hmm. she says i don't want to fight all of you unless i have to and the way she dispenses with the first guy is with a kick to the groin yes and i just i really enjoy that exactly even Which, on vampires oh, that's a sensitive spot <laughs> well i was just gonna say vampire physiology 101 apparently the groin situation continues to be an issue yeah for them. yeah well they've got to have they've got to have their you know sensitive spots right oh yeah they can't and when be we immune. get into vampire sex later we can oh. talk more of it vampire physiology yeah we should have actually you and kelly jones should have that discussion because i've i've read the messages we messaged back and forth all of us and they had a big discussion about it and i just basically want to record the two of you talking about that but we will absolutely (laughs) get to that definitely Um, a very special bonus episode a very special bonus listen to noelle and kelly Kelly talk about Noelle LaCroix discusses vampire, vampire sex. sex. That is the best. Everybody needs to have that. All right. So what's your favorite part? My favorite part is, I mean, shocking no one if you've made it this far through the podcast. <laughs> my favorite part, for real, is Darla's little, this little physicality, the sidestep mm-hmm. that she does um, when she's kind of testing the door force field. Yeah. And Joyce has said, would you like to come in and... She does this little, like, I'm just going to nudge my shoulder up against the doorway and, hey, I made it through. (laughs) And she says, it's very nice of you to invite me into your home. And this quiet delight, like, hey, my plan worked. It's just so, she's so pleased with herself. Mm -hmm. And I just love that little vampire testing the force field maneuver. Yeah. No, I can definitely (laughs) understand that. Yeah. (laughs) That was very cute. Yes. Darla forever. 
guys. All just- right. <laughs> I think I think Noelle's got a new tattoo to go out and get. <laughs> hey, whoa. All right. Back it up. <laughs> <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> All right. So for my favorite part, I would have to say that it is, um, uh, you know, it's the kiss at the end. It's it's the, the visual representation of the, you know, the impossible love, the um, the cross. She has this, you know, this this symbol of of goodness and purity that burns, you know, a mark over his heart. Like it's just it's really nicely done. And, you know, and I got to say, I'm a romance girl like I. I will always and pretty much unless a romance is terribly written I'm gonna love it you know so and this one is not terribly written this is nicely established and I really I love that moment I think it's great and it's the necklace he gave her yes yeah so good I know such a great moment Well, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Noelle at Noelle Allowed and use the hashtag StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who have no conscience, no remorse. It's an easy way to live. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Pretty by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for any podcast that you love. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Absolutely. We will be back next time with iRobot, Eugene, the eighth episode of season one. Until then, you and I both know what you hunger for what you need. Hey, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's who we are. <laughs>